Hi, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. We're in Paris. You know, so many people reference the Marie Antoinette quote, let them eat cake. And then, you know, historians have gone back and they said, you know, it's actually not cake, it's brioche. It's brioche, you know. That, so I brought in actual, oh my God, what a mess. We brought in actual brioche. This is a brioche. It's been sliced there at the patisserie. And uh, so this is what she suggested that the peasants should be uh, eating because they had run out of pain. You see, this is a brioche is a slightly nicer version of pain. There's a few in the cupboard. Let's throw that to the peasants and maybe that'll shut them up. Eh? <laughs> yes, I believe there had been a wheat disaster because of the, um, the Hecla, the, the, the volcano in, in Iceland had blown and caused bad weather. Yeah, we learned about that in Iceland. That's what they claim. They like to claim responsibility for the French. Well, here we are in you know, 2019, and the Gilets jaunes is uh, barricading at the gates once again. And the folks are rising up for good reason. What have you got in your little notes there? Because we haven't actually evolved since then. Because remember, during the French Revolution, you made a film about this with uh, goldmoney.com and about John Law and the Assignat. Because the Assignat was uh, basically a fiat currency here in France that was backed by all the property that they had seized from the Catholic Church. It was a derivative. It was a derivative. And nowadays, I realized it dawned on me with all these negative interest rates, all of these crazy economic policies emanating from our governments, but in particular from the central banks, is because we actually do have globally an assignat because most people think that banks lend to businesses and that's what they're doing. And everybody's looking at the ECB to cut rates so that they can lend to businesses and grow the economy. But actually over 85% of all bank lending is for properties and property bubbles. So we're stuck with that. Right, so I mean, that's a transfer payment and they use derivatives, they use modern channels of banking and conduits to collateralize the property in the modern assignat, of course, the French government at the time simply seized via the Catholic Church their property, securitized it, and sold their currency back as such. But here in the 2019 era, they do, they do it using uh, reverse collateralized mortgage obligations and fancy Wall Street products. But as you point out so, uh, so well there, this is a replay of all the elements that led to the French Revolution using financial engineering and securitization and derivatives to debase the currency. And the currency is being debased. Well, you reach an end point of how much the value of the property can go up. And with the assignat, the French people demanded they print more of these assignats so that the property prices can continue to rise because they didn't want them to go down. So we have that global situation right now. It did. It was able and possible because we went off the gold standard in 1971. At the same time, it, it wouldn't have worked without the fact that the boomers hit the right age. They were entering the workforce at that time, and that was a massive um, population so you could create a Ponzi sort of scheme. Here's a headline to prove my theory that what we're seeing right now is akin 
to back at the Assignat and the collapse of the Assignat and the strife that followed the reign of terror that happened here in France. Uh, banks are now referring people to food bank to help them pay their mortgage. This is in Australia, so it's called Food Bank South Australia has been approached by banks to refer their clients to the charity in the hope that it will prevent people from defaulting on mortgage payments. Not let them eat brioche, but let them eat food bank. This is a real let them eat cake moment, in another replay. Uh, so we've got a couple of almost verbatim replays of the uh, revolutionary times of France. So not only are they collateralizing property, as you point out, it's no fan. It's nothing reinvented here. It's all property backed. And now instead of letting them eat slices of brioche, they're allowing the folks to use their food. No, they're subsidizing the food banks to so give the poor banks- people food so that they don't default on their mortgages. These are normal middle class, upper middle class, and even indeed upper class people, but they're stretched. They have 10x, they might be earning a million dollars Australian. So they're getting the Australian. food bank to issue them food coupons so they don't default on their mortgage. They're calling it vouchers. These banks, the bank, you have a mortgage with the bank. The bank is concerned that you are not able to meet that mortgage because you're income has not gone up and the prices continue to rise. So they're creating vouchers that they give to virtual the food bank. Virtual brioche. Virtual they're brioche. They're virtual brioche. A token, as it were. To, it's a, a token, voucher. an ICO yes. of brioche yes. uh, on the Ethereum blockchain. It's an ERC-20 token, and they're throwing it. See, we found a use case for Ethereum, finally. <laughs> See, Vitalik, so, you can be happy now. So here, again, we, we've had... 10 years, 20 years in Australia to feed this property bubble there, to keep that going. Because if you're not working in the commodities business in Australia, then you're, you're a property speculator and you have the asset net. So here's the unusual situation. Food Bank South Australia Chief Executive Greg Pattinson told ABC Radio Adelaide it was still exploring how the program would work. Quote, That's what we are exploring with some of the banks at the moment. It hasn't started yet because we are still working through the process. We've never been approached by financial institutions in the past, and the banks, to their credit, are doing the right thing and trying to find a way of keeping people in their houses. So now in the medieval times, you had the church, and they had a lot of property, and here you have the church of central banks and they're treated as saints and apostles. They definitely are infallible. Banks have been determined and deemed to be infallible. They are not punished by anything. There is no uh, mortal that can ever punish them because this, this would cause sleepless nights and our whole fabric of society and the system around us would collapse should we question Too big to fail. Too big to fail. Yes. Like God. God's too big to fail. So are the central banks. Well, this is what they said at the time pre-French Revolution, that they they were infallible. These corrupt uh, uh, priests that were wandering around Europe at the time, you know, they were shaking down people for indulgences. And nevertheless, here we have another let them eat brioche moment. And I want to turn to another part of this, this trying to sustain this assignat system that we have around the world. And you had predicted here on Kai's report that cutting interest rates down to zero and then to negative, that it would cause deflation. And here's a headline from Bloomberg. Central banks, negative interest rates were supposed to increase spending, stop deflation, and stimulate the economy. They may have done the exact opposite. So this is based on a study 
from the University of Bath in England, and you had to wait 10 years after Kai's report told you this would happen. And here they're saying, yes, they don't credit us, but we were right. Right. So Paul Krugman and Danny Blanchflower and other economists and former central bankers argued that this type of money printing would create inflation. However, what it did was it kept the zombie banks alive and they pushed out companies that could create actual jobs and innovation and genuine taxable in inflation economic activity. And by catering to the zombies, the zombies got bigger and bigger and as such became a black hole of debt. So the black hole of debt, the cheap rates and negative rates are increasing that black hole of debt. in uh, that's deflation. And now negative interest rates are a soft default on sovereign debt. That's also deflation. But again, going back to my theory that this is an assignat, they were never, ever going to lend to businesses. Businesses don't exist in this world. We're a financialized world. What they ran out of was greater fools. Back in the 1980s, when we began this bond market bubble, when interest rates were at 20%, and now they're down to zero and even negative, what we had always was a greater fool to roll over your debt. Who could, back in the 80s, you had to you know, take out a mortgage to two and a half times your income. You had to put 20% down. Then they cut the, that down to 3% down, then to 0% down. And even they would pay you to take a mortgage. Uh, they would give you the deposit, essentially. They would loan you the deposit and add it to the mortgage. So you came up with that. Then you could always roll it over. And well, because interest rates are lower now than they were in the 80s, you, could, you don't need to just borrow two and a half times your income. You could do five times and then seven. And then in central London, it's 12 times your income. So there's always been a fool willing to say, okay, I'll take out 12 times my income. What could go wrong? Because I know in a few years time, maybe somebody will do it for 15 times, but that fool never came along. Right, but to your point. So the lending has been to property and property yes. assets are collateralizing ever greater lending into ever greating misallocated resources into inflated property bubbles. Yes. Uh, this is Iceland. You know, Iceland, the banks lent to the property markets. They used the collateral to create this enormous bubble, and then it popped, and the entire country went bust. This is being done on a global scale. What we saw in 2008, the world came to a crashing stop. Iceland went under. Ireland was faced with near extinction. There was this huge multi-hundred trillion dollar bailout. And now we're at the end game of that, where the property values that were inflated to these incredible values, where you've got the guy at Citadel Hedge Fund, Ken Griffith, buying a flat in New York for $280 million, right? So, you know, if but the world, if the, here's the Titanic, here's the world economy, it's the Titanic. In 2008, it hit the iceberg and started to sink. And here's Ken Griffith with his $280 million flat. It goes up in value. Okay, when it hits perpendicularity, okay, that's it. That's where we're at now. Well, we reached a, a shortage of fools. That's what's missing in the world. We need to grow more fools. And in fact, in the United Kingdom, when you know there's a help to buy scheme, and remember, George Osborne introduced that in the UK. His mom loves the program, and the fools that bought the are using it love the program. But other people like Kai's report might suggest it was a Ponzi scheme. We have the assignat, 
and what are they doing with the help to buy scheme six years after we called it a Ponzi scheme. But the fact is that uh, the government is having to say, well, now you could take out a 35 year mortgage because remember, that's how we had greater fools. You had less deposit down, you extended the mortgage through time and you lowered interest rates. So now we're at the end game. We know what happened in France. Maybe this could, well, if you look around the world and you see the unrest, it's the beginning of that sort of thing when the asset not falls apart. Right. Instead of having one revolution in France or the Russian Revolution or the American Revolution, you have a global insurrection against banker occupation, Giabo. Yes. Right. And they're all joining up forces. The Gilets Jaunes will join forces with the uh, folks in Hong Kong when forces in Arab nations. And it's, uh, so it's all the Assignat, essentially. That's what big fiat currency. ICO, Assignat, fiat currency, Titanic slash nightmare. So oh, we got to go to the second half. Remember, stay tuned. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to turn to Mark Vallec, who publishes the annual In Gold We Trust Report. We're going to get into this massive tome quickly. Mark, welcome. Hi. Great to have you on. Now, uh, you're from Liechtenstein. First of all, I like the way you say Liechtenstein. How do you say it? I'd say Liechtenstein. Doesn't that sound cool? I feel like I'm in a crazy movie suddenly. Well, we are in Paris. Uh, you are from Vienna. Uh, so you're Austrian uh, in more ways than one. Many of our guests here on Kaiser Report and who watch the show call themselves a part of the Austrian school of economics. Um, are you an Austrian school of economics person? What does it mean to you? Well, I would say so. I mean, it's uh, quite uh, important for our development. It has been very uh, important. The Austrian school of economics, I think, helps to really see that there's actually an alternative way to view the monetary system. So it's not only uh, central banking. It doesn't have to be central banking necessarily, but like mainstream economics just takes that as a given. And I think that's perhaps one of the biggest advantages if one studies the Austrian School of Economics, just that one really realizes, okay, there can be another way and the central banking may not be the holy grail. Right now, you're a big fan also of the Bitcoin Standard, that book by Safdina Moose. I am, yes. And he goes into detail into his view of the Austrian School of Economics. And he's a real, uh, he really hates Keynesians and, um, and their idea of printing money ad infinitum. And to that point, there are over 17 trillion in negative yielding bonds in Europe. Uh, in what school of economics is this? Uh, or do negative yields defy the laws of time and space and finance? And in other words, there's this is definitely not Austrian school. Definitely not. I think it's it's basically a function of of this debt based monetary system which we have, which basically um, uh, brings us to a point where we have an ever expanding amount of debt, and then we need uh, central bankers to kind of try to 
inflate the, the way out of this. And, and we've landed at the point where we're pretty much at the end of the road in terms of um, yields, in, ter in terms of interest rates. And we really need to, or the central bankers have the urge to really try to reflate the, the system in a new kind of way. And there's all kind of interesting debates going around uh, currently, which is quite interesting to follow. I think we are at the verge of this uh, new paradigm where this reflation will really uh, hit the new gear sooner or later. Right, let's talk about this a little bit. Okay, so inflating out of debt. So money is constantly created to pay down the debt that you're creating and you create more money to pay down more debt and there's this vicious cycle. And if, you know, we know because of the Cantilla effect, if you're a friend of the banker and you're the first in line to get that fresh money, uh, you can make a lot of money in buying assets. You know, you can buy uh, a chalet in Liechtenstein. Uh, you can buy uh, fine art. But if you are not part of that group, by the time the money gets down to you, you're paying more uh, for groceries. You're paying more for gasoline. Uh, so you experience that price inflation. And it creates this enormous uh, gap between the haves and the have-yachts and the have-nots, right? And so, but this negative rate seems like more of a default, an outright default on a bond than an attempt to inflate one's way out of debt. I see you nodding your head. What do you think? Yeah, I think one can make the argument that it's kind of a soft default. I mean, you, you get uh, you 99 uh, cents on the dollar back or even less if, if you have a negative 1% uh, yield. So that's basically a partial default, sure. But I think the main uh, intention is really to push this currency out, force it out. And, and really, I mean, in Switzerland and, and Liechtenstein, where we, we have the Swiss franc, we have pretty negative interest rates already. And this is a huge, huge problem, obviously, for asset managers, for, for all these pools of funds. They really need to do something with, with, with their assets. Obviously, they invested in equities, uh, bonds, m less and less an alternative, corporate bonds, less and less an alternative. And, and once this kind of uh, paradigm hits the U.S. dollar, I think really that's, that's really an interesting environment for, for gold and Bitcoin. You know, it's almost like a statutory financial crime being foisted upon, let's say, pension fund managers who are obligated by law to buy government debt. If that government debt is a negative yielding debt, it's a negative interest rate debt, they have no choice. They have to buy that debt, even though it means that they're bankrupting all these pensions. And um, so where do they get away with this? Because the social contract, you know, we're in Europe right now. We are in Paris. We're in home of really the whole idea of the social contract and the idea of um, the Enlightenment. And if the social contract is broken, according to John Locke, the, the people must revolt. You know, and we're seeing that. We see this liaison. We see in Hong Kong. Uh, we've seen Occupy Wall Street. We've seen this all over the world, what we call the global insurrection against banker occupation. Would you, would you put it in those terms? Uh, I, I get to ask this question because we are in Europe. 
It's a bit of a highfalutin question. But, however, is it a break in the actual social contract that is girding society together? I think so. I mean, there are quite a few indications that this kind of uh, social contract in German, it's called Generationsvertrag, which is also quite an quite a interesting word, is somewhat breaking down. And people are also losing kind of the trust in, in this uh, social contract. I think one of these indications also would be like uh, dropping birth rates so people really have to take care of themselves if, if they uh, want to live that kind of life with, which they were used to growing up and they really don't know how to manage that with like two or three kids even. That's why you've got birth rates um, scratching at one actually in, in, in Germany and even in, in countries like, like France and, and uh, Spain which traditionally had uh, higher birth rates that these birth rates have been uh, declining during the last uh, 10 years especially. So, so that's one of these indications. Another indication I think is the whole crypto phenomena which is obviously embraced by the younger generation more and, and, and they think perhaps, okay, who knows if, if, if really this whole fiat system collapses down the road. When, I, when I'm uh, at, pe at my pension age, I may be able to save myself from an um, economic point of view if I have a few bitcoins, right? So that's also, I think, a part of this mistrust in the social contract. Right. Well, let's turn to this massive report. Uh, I've seen a lot of reports in my day, but I've never seen a report like this. It's huge, and uh, I've been through it, and every single page has some good stuff in it. So Incrementum is the company. Anyone can get this as a PDF. Yes. It's so a they can contact, I guess. The name of the report is Gold in the Age of Eroding Trust. The very thing we're talking about. Gold is now on the upswing. All of the institutions, the family, as you just mentioned, banks, um, things that are the social contract, these are all dissolving in real time. And this is now reflected in the price of gold. You published this in May, and just two weeks ago, Mark Carney confirmed this. Trust is gone. Globalization is over. What next for what people are familiar with, and that is fiat money, fiat currency like the dollar, the euro, etc. I think one has to uh, differentiate very much where one lives or which kind of culture one has in terms of fiat currencies. We, I say we in, in, in Central Europe, for instance, in, in, in Switzerland again and, and in Austria and Germany, uh, we were brought up with a, a relatively stable um, money and relatively stable purchasing power um, which is declining now not perhaps in terms of consumer price inflation but in terms of um, a purchasing power of real estate so 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 people now starting to to question a little bit um, this this the system also from from the fiat money side if you are on the other side uh, living in South America or living in the Middle East um, I think you've got a completely different um, view of fiat money you already were much more skeptical so the eroding trust which we termed this uh, report also uh, mainly refers to I say Western societies which still had uh, generally the feeling that this is a stable system but but this is I think now also on, on, on its way down. Let's talk about the ECB, the European Central Bank. It's really mostly the old uh, um, Bundesbank, right? And it became the European Central Bank. It's German. German is the biggest economy in Europe and it's basically the Germany is running the show. And yet, uh, I remember a few years ago when people were aghast at the balance sheet expansion of the Fed 
And they were saying, well, this will never hit the ECB. They're Germans, and Germans would never allow this type of monetary madness. And yet, they certainly went ahead and did that. Um, and now the results are pretty obvious. I mean, I, I would think the German people would are, are starting to get a bit nervous, if not uh, quite upset about this. So Germans definitely are a nation of savers. I mean, also that is declining a little bit, but but still it is, is, is more in their genes than in, in, in other countries. And uh, savers in terms of saving in the bank account and not investing. So so they really get a problem if, if they have negative interest rates. So they were kind of okay with zero interest rates, um, which they've been living with for quite a few years, actually. So that's in real terms, negative interest uh, rates anyway. But if you, once you have nominally negative interest rates, then then people really, I think, are, are, are not happy. Um, so 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 that will really be, I think, the point when 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 a, a broader uh, potentially a broader wave of um, uh, unhappiness regarding ECB will rise. The key word in all this, of course, is trust. Trust is the key word. And, you know, in crypto and in Bitcoin, trust is a big word because it's trustless. Trust is unneeded. The transactions are self-verifying. You don't need a third party to apply that stamp of approval. And in this in this um, report, gold in the age of eroding trust, you put Bitcoin right up there with gold. It's essentially gold and Bitcoin are together uh, in your view of how to play this collapsing, uh, a world of collapsing trust. Is that correct? Yes, I think it's it's important to to uh, not neglect generally the technological progress which is going on 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 the cryptocurrency side generally, which is obviously also being um, followed and tried to being taken advantage of uh, from central banks. So 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 it's just important if you really want to see the whole picture to to follow what's going on. But when it comes to Bitcoin. I mean, this this discussion is is always interesting. What are the advantages uh, of Bitcoin versus gold? Gold is um, obviously a physical metal. It's an internal metal. It 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 is just uh, never dying. And uh, Bitcoin is 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 a man-made system. So so that would be uh, one fundamental difference. But then again, from from a from a term of hard money, Bitcoin, one can make the argument, is even harder money than gold in the medium term. So so it would be really an interesting measure of value. So I think one needs to follow it closely. Right. We are in an interesting camp of being both gold and Bitcoin. We're going to talk about that some more in another segment, if you can hang on. But thanks for being on this episode of Kaiser Report. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert. I'd like to thank our guest, Mark Avalik of Incrementum. This is the thing you got to get the PDF. It's free. If you'd like to get in touch with us, it's Kaiser Report on Twitter or at KaiserReport.com. Until next time, bye, y'all.